Dr. Smith and his wife, Wanda, have three adult children. One other adult child is now with the Lord. They have eight grandchildren. Would you help me welcome to the pulpit of Colonial, Dr. Robert Smith. Consecrate us now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let our souls look up with a steadfast hope and our will be lost in thine. Draw us nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw us nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God be praised. What a delight, what a blessing it is to be at the Colonial Baptist Church. I've heard of who you are, and I have to admit that what I heard is true. I heard of you with my ear, but now I'm seeing you face to face, and you are who you said you were. It's a blessing to be here, the pastor in his absence, Dr. Davey, to all of you our father's children who know the salvation of our Lord. I'm particularly happy to see Dr. and Mrs. Gary Hallquist. That's my brother and my sister. We don't have the same mother, but we have the same daddy. <laughs> In fact, we have the same daddy. He is our Abba. It's just a real joy to be here. I want to talk about the oasis of God. The Oasis of God. I want to read Psalm 42 and 43, which will be our matter of consideration for this service, the next service, and the night service, and it will, as it was for the first service. Hear these words from Psalm 42 and 43. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries haunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off 
Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Augustine, one of the great church fathers of the patristic or the first five centuries of church history, has written in his classic confessions, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless until they find rest in thee. That is, all of us are made in the image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God. God has made a God-sized hole in each of us that only God can fill. Nothing else and no one else can completely fill that void, that hole. I contend that any man who goes to a brothel is really seeking for God. Any individual who shoots up in the arm is really looking for God. Anyone who tries to find fulfillment in titles, position, Money, notoriety, is really looking for God because God has made us for himself and our souls are really restless, inadequate, insufficient, incomplete until we find rest in God. For there's always this proclivity, there's always this propensity, there's always this tendency for matter and for existence to want to return back to its original source. It's certainly true with water. Water exists, as you know, in three states, originally in liquid. And if you let the temperature drop below 32 degrees Fahrenheit so that you put an ice tray filled filled with water into uh, a freezer, it will become solid, it will become ice. But if you set it out and put it on the counter, and let it rise above 32 degrees Fahrenheit, below 212 degrees Fahrenheit, it will return back to its original liquid state because there's always this propensity, there's always this tendency, there's always this proclivity to return matter to its original source. But if you took that water and put it in a kettle, put it on top of a stove, turn the stove on, let the temperature rise above 212 degrees Fahrenheit, that liquid water will become vaporous or gaseous, And you will hear the tea kettle start singing. But if you let the temperature drop, take it off the stove, there would be condensation sitting around it because water is returning back to its original state. There's always this proclivity. There's always this propensity. There's always this tendency for original matter to turn back to its original state. I'm here to remind us that God is our source. In him, Acts 7, 20, 17, 28, we live, we move, we have our being, and no one and nothing can satisfy the craving of our interiority except God. Try it. It doesn't make any difference how much money you may have. 
It doesn't make any difference what car you drive or where you live or how many D's you have. If you have a PhD degree, please understand that's three letters of the alphabet. You still have 23 more to get. You still don't have everything. Only God is alpha and omega, beginning and end, the first and the last. It's what Job reminds us of in Job chapter 1 verse 21. Naked came I into the world, naked shall I return. It's what the preacher reminds us of in Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. The body came from the dust and must go back to it. And the spirit came from God who gave it. That must go back to God. Because there's always this proclivity, there's always this propensity, there's always this tendency for matter to return back to its original source. And the source is God. I want to contend today that God is our oasis. An oasis exists when a subterranean stream enables a plot of vegetation to remain green and lush in a desert situation. It's paradoxical. In fact, that's what you really have here in Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? A deer is being hunted. It's probably an arid situation. And in the midst of that arid situation, the deer is panting, searching for water. (laughs) And finds it in the midst of an arid situation and is replenished. He says, I'm like that deer, the psalmist. I'm panting after the water brook, but not just any water brook. I'm panting after the metaphor of God. My soul thirsts for God, not just any God. I'm in a foreign land. I'm in Babylon. I'm in a strange land. I'm talking about a living God, not an idol, which means no thing that may have eyes that can't see and feet that can't walk. I'm looking for the living God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He is our oasis. He is our peace in the midst of our storm. Not in the absence of the storm, but in the midst of it. Uh, You don't need, you don't need a prosperity theology. Don't worry about me falling, I'm all right. (laughs) We don't need a prosperity theology. We need an adversity theology. How do you handle life? Anybody can handle life when they're prospering. But... When the stars of hope have fallen down from your sky and when the doctor's office is your second home and when tribulation follows you like the bloodhound of the beyond, how do you bless the Lord then? We always say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Can you bless him during adversity or is it only limited to prosperity? I am not a happy Christian. I'm a blessed Christian. Because when you're happy, you're happy as long as things are happening. But when you're blessed, you learn to understand that God is good and God is worthy. And God should be lifted up even in the midnight. Because weeping may endure for night, but joy will come in the morning. So therefore, God wants to be our oasis. Uh, That paradox of God, which is the only way we can really relate to God since he 
works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform, plants his footsteps on the sea and rides on every storm, as William Cooper, as the English called him, is paradoxical. A paradox occurs when two mutually exclusive statements meet at the intersection of apparent contradiction only to produce truth. It's what G.K. Chesterton, that Catholic theologian, said about a paradox, that a paradox is truth standing on top of his head, screaming for attention. So come on closer. I know this looks illogical. I know it looks unreasonable. I know it looks nonsensical. But if you get closer and you look keenly enough and you listen acutely enough, you're going to see something truthful coming out of this, that there can be fertility in the midst of aridity and that you can find your existence in an oasis of God who will be that subterranean stream that you may not see but keeps on enabling you to be lush and fertile in the midst of an arid desert climate. This psalmist writes this psalm. Some say, well, this psalmist was a wandering Levite, perhaps. Some say that this psalmist is Davis, David. I doubt it. The psalmist writes in Psalm 43, verse 3, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me to your holy hill, to the place of your dwelling. David never built the temple, never saw the temple, And this psalmist has seen the temple and is praying that once again he will be led back to Jerusalem from captivity to the place of the dwelling of God, the holy hill of God, Mount Zion. I doubt if it's David. I'd like to think that it is Hezekiah. I can hear Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19 when the forces of Sennacherib, the Assyrians, are surrounding Jerusalem. And David, uh, uh, Hezekiah, gets this ultimatum. The ultimatum says, I want absolute surrender. Now, we destroyed all the other nations. Your God won't be able to destroy you. Uh, Your God will not be able to defend you. David takes the letter and spreads it out before God in the temple and lets God read it. Because he believes that God is uh, uh, one who can read, that he's literate. He just lets God read it. He lets God, he lets God read it. He prays. And the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 35, when David, uh, when Hezekiah woke up the next morning, he and the people of the southern kingdom looked over and there were 185,000 Assyrian soldiers still. But they were corpses. They were dead. And I can hear Hezekiah before this happened saying, why you cast down on my soul and why you disquieted within me? But when he sees what God does that next morning, that while he was sleeping, God was working. Hope thou in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. I can see Hezekiah doing that. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse number 6. After God has won a national battle, there's a personal battle that's going on inside the body of Hezekiah. His best friend Isaiah has delivered him a telegram from from God saying, you shall die and not live. Get your house in order. And when God says that, it's pretty serious. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed 
And before Hezekiah could get out of the palace courtyard, God told him to go back. Verse number six, second Kings chapter 20. Tell Hezekiah, I have added 15 more years to his life. And I can hear Hezekiah when he got the bad diagnosis from Isaiah, you're going to die and not live, get your house in order, saying, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? But when he got his life insurance policy renewed 15 more years, I can hear him saying, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. Never put a period where God has put a comma. It's not over even when the fat lady sings. It's what God says. If God has said it, whether you and I believe it or not, then that settles it. And if it's in his word, uh, forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven, stand on his word. Stop sitting on the premises and start standing on the promises and understand that the grass will wither and the flower will fade away, but the word of God will stand forever. Therefore, we know that we can have peace in the midst of our storm and we can have fertility in the midst of aridity. I think that this psalmist David, uh, that some say, uh, wrote it, does influence Hezekiah as I believe he writes this psalm for us. Now, this psalm uh, is imbued, filled with depression. I hope you can see this triadic refrain that runs through the fabric of this psalm. There are three threads, and all three of them are interconnected. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope thine God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43 and 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. I don't think it's two psalms. I think it's one psalm with two chapters that are tied together by these three threads that are interconnected that sew them together. And it rings out with this discordant note of depression. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, a long way from home. Sometimes I'm up. Sometimes I'm down. Yes, Lord. Sometimes I'm almost level to the ground. Oh, yes, Lord. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Glory. Hallelujah. So says the Negro spiritual, depression. Someone has called depression the common code of mental illness. Some even say that you can't be a Christian and experience depression. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes a book that I highly recommend for all of us. If you haven't lived at the, uh, the, uh, in the zip code of depression, uh, and some of us live at the address of depression, then I encourage you to to get the book. Spiritual depression, spiritual depression, its causes and its cure. And he gives the cure as being one that is found in God's word because the greatest saints and sages of all the ages have experienced depression. Moses experiences depression. He was a man that God has raised up to lead his people. And Moses gets tired and says, God, I can't lead all of these people. I can't be a nurse for all of these people in the wilderness. Uh, yeah, the children of Israel become like a hot potato. Lord, uh, hear your people. 
And God says, no, Moses, these are your people. And Moses said, no, God, they're your people. And it seemed like Moses doesn't want them. It seemed like God doesn't want them. And the Bible says Moses, who is called by God, the meekest man in all the earth, which means not a weak man, but one who has power under control, says to God, take my life. Depressed. Elijah, who experienced in one day the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat on Mount Carmel, takes and sits underneath a broom brush tree and asks God to take his life. And yet he outflies death. A chartered chariot of fire with reins of fire, with horses of fire, and he escapes death. And yet asks God to take his life. Jeremiah. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20 and 9, 20 verse 9, I said I would not speak anymore in his name. But his word was in my heart like fire shut up in my bone and I was weary of holding in. Indeed, I could not. He turned in, he thought, his preacher's license, his ordination certificate. He was through. But he lived between, I can't go on. I said, I would not speak anymore in his name and I can't give up. But I could not hold my peace. Because it was like fire shut up in my bone. And I live between, I will not and I cannot. And all of us live between, I will not, but I cannot. And we decide that we're going to quit, we're going to resign, we're going to give up. And we say, I will not. But there is something in us, there is the word of God that burns like fire. I'm out of this position, I'm out of this marriage, I'm out of this ministry, and even the thoughts of suicide. And yet there is something that says, I can't hold my peace, I must do what God has called me to do. Thank God for the presence of a word that is like fire that's shut up in your bones so that the thermostat is not on the, on the outside. The regulator is not on, on the outside. It's on the inside and you can't get into it to shut it off. It just keeps burning and you keep doing what you said you won't, weren't going to do because there is something and someone in you that holds the rein, someone in you that vanishes pain, someone in you that you can't explain all that you know. There is someone Within depression, depression. Why um, would this psalmist be depressed? I, I gave two reasons this morning. I give two more. The first one I gave was because of the absence of the temple of God. The absence of the temple of God. Psalm 43, verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. I'm not there at the temple. Let them lead me to your holy hill, to the place of your dwelling. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, not give any commentary, which I did this morning. So the psalmist is away from the temple of God and is feeling the press. The second reason I gave was not just the absence of the temple of God, but the absence of the God of the temple. The absence of the God of the temple. And the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As a deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Here it is. When shall, verse 2, I come and appear before God. I'm not appearing before God. God is absent. Psalm 42, verse 3, that gnawing, aching question in the soul, where is your God? Psalm 42, verse 10, like a mortal wound in my body, my enemies continually taunt me with this question, where is your God? Seem like God of the temple is absent. The third reason. I think that the psalmist is experiencing depression because he's having a 
melancholic moment. Psalm 42, verse 4. I pour out my soul as I remember how I used to lead the throne of worshipers with loud shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping praise. I'm no longer there now. I'm no longer participating in the mandatory feasts, the feast of booths, the feast of the Passover, the feast of the Pentecost. And I miss that. Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a moment of melancholy. I don't know if you know what that's like if you've been in the hospital and you've been wanting to be in church. In fact, I've had those kind of experiences and I look at my clock and say, oh yeah, they're having devotion now. Mm. And then my soul starts. Yeah, I can play all the tapes and CDs I want. Mm. Yeah, right now the choir singing. Mm-hmm. And, and right now... Uh, the preaching would be going on. And I'm having this moment of melancholy because I recognize CDs of church services and even television programs don't make the difference when it comes to what you experience right here in church. It's a place of melancholy. And all oh, there ought to be something uh, that you miss and I miss when we're not at church. Because when we're in church, we really are participating in a dress rehearsal when it comes to anticipated redemption. That's all. You, we're just trying to get our uh, redemptive rhythm on. It's really what we're trying to do. Trying to get our sanctified stride on. It's really what we're trying to do. Uh, we're not worshiping perfectly uh, because we're imperfect persons. But as soon as our feet strike Zion, that's why you ought to get, get kind of uh, caught up in terms of what you're going to be doing in heaven. In heaven, it's going to be kind of noisy. The Bible says it's going to be uh, silent for a space about a half an hour. But uh, people say, well, I don't like a lot of noise. Well, you don't want to go to hell because if you go to hell, there's going to be weeping and national tea and uh, you don't want to go to heaven because it's going to be noisy there we're going to be praising our savior all the day long when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when he first begun so just get in redemptive rhythm and get your sanctified shout on because that's going to happen I'm not talking about cheerleader mentality I'm talking about getting the can't help us because when you think about how good God has been to you the fact that some of you are coming here and I've said this uh, this morning you graduated from high school and you were voted the most likely not to succeed some of your marriages were not supposed to be successful you ought to be pitching yourself wondering you mean to tell me i'm dressing this good and i'm riding this good and i'm eating this good and i know where i came from and when the doctor gave me this bad diagnosis and i was not supposed to walk or talk and some of you're not even supposed to be alive and god has kept you alive helped you to see your children get grown help you to see your grandchildren be raised and i come here i want to lift my hand I I want to thank God that he's been so good to me. I don't want to just wait until the North Carolina Tar Heels or, if you will, the Duke Devil, Blue Devils play and get excited, spend $100 to get into a game. And even if they win, it doesn't bless me. But he woke me up this morning and started me on my way. I want to say thank you. I want to say praise you. You say, you're kind of Pentecostal, aren't you? No, I'm not Pentecostal. I'm just a little saved because God has been good to me. And we all baptized if we're Baptist at all. God is good. I think that this psalmist, I think that the psalmist is having a melancholic moment. And as a result of that, I think he is experiencing a tinge of depression. 
But I think the psalmist may, and this will be the fourth reason I'll give the others later, may be experiencing depression because he is indirectly and maybe even directly blaming God for his predicament. Look at Psalm 42, verse 7. Deep calls under deep. At the sound of your cataracts, that is your waterfalls, all your billows and your waves have covered me. They're drowning me. God, all I asked for were water brooks. As a deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee. Instead of getting water brooks in verse 2, I got tears in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. I have had no intake of any substance for a while except tears. Have you ever got to the place where all you could do was cry and you didn't even have an appetite for food? My tears have been my food day and night. I just asked for water brooks, I get tears. And now, verse 7, I'm getting waterfalls. Crises, crises and tragedies are being dumped on me. They are your cataracts, that is your waterfalls. And they are your billows. And they're your waves that are drowning me. It forces us to live in the book of Job. It interests me that Job never thought that God was talking about him behind Job's back. And Job Job never thought he was going to be in the Bible. And Job certainly didn't think that the book was going to be named after him, the book of Job. And he certainly didn't think that he would be picked out to be picked on. And there is what the Jews call the law of all causality. And you have to buy into this. The law of all causality really says this, that there is nothing that happens in this world that God cannot keep from happening. If it happens, it's because he permits it. And if he permits it, he has a purpose to promote. And you may not know what that purpose is right away. But in other words, if God is sovereign, there is nothing that is out of his control. And therefore Job struggles, and you see how he does it throughout the book. He struggles. Hear him in Job 23, verse 1 and verse 2. Oh, that I might find God. If I could find God, I would order my arguments before his throne. And I would give him a piece of my mind. That's really what it means. I go up north, God's not there. I go down south, God's not there. I go to the east, God's not there. I go to the west, God's not, not there. It's like God is playing hide and go seek with me. I can't find him. But, verse 10, Job 23, but he knows the way I take. And after he has tried me, whatever that is, I'll come forth as go. I don't know the way I'm taking, but he does. And I'm trusting that when he's finished with his purpose in this trial, that I will come forth as gold. But until that time, the psalmist is uh, struggling, struggling with depression. I often think about how God really talked strong and loud in the first two chapters of Job. Have you considered my servant Job, Satan? Just talk about it, just talk about it. Yeah, I have, but you know you got him under divine protective custody. And uh, if you remove the, the, the hedge, I get to him making curses to the face. God did that. And God talks in chapter 1, chapter 2. You know, for the next 35 chapters, God doesn't say anything. Chapter 3 to chapter 37, God says absolutely nothing. And it's not until chapter 38, that 39, 40, 41, that God finally speaks. And in 42, Job says, I heard of you with my ear, but my eye sees you face to face. And I have to admit that what I was talking about, I had no idea of, uh, of what I was talking about. I was just talking. 
without knowing what I was talking about, if you understand what I'm trying to talk about. Job had to wait from chapter 3 to chapter 37. 35 chapters before God spoke. How long can you and I wait? Because chapter 38 is coming. Some of you right now are in chapter 37. You've got 10 more chapters to wait. And you're ready to throw in the towel. And you're ready to give up. You only 10 more chapters. Some of you are in chapter 37. You only got a few more verses to wait. And if you can just hold out to tomorrow, if you can just keep faith through the night, if you just hold out to tomorrow, everything will be all right. And some of you are in chapter three. You've got 35 chapters to wait. But chapter 38 is coming. Don't blame him. Just know that he has a purpose to promote. Now, I've got about five minutes. Let me go on and uh, close and then pick up next service and then this evening service. This psalmist is experiencing great depression. And the psalm opens up with panting. As a deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. But it closes with praising. Psalm 43 verse 5. For I shall yet praise him my Savior and my God. Well, you and I realize that there is an itch that we can't stretch. And there is an irresistible urge that keeps driving us back to the original, back to God. Some of you can testify that you tried a career. You tried athletics. You tried academics, but nothing else could fulfill you except when you tried Jesus. And when you tried him, you found real fulfillment. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. But then I heard the master speaking. Draw from the well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this longing of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up, Lord, and make me whole. Well, uh, we serve a God uh, who's able to fill our cups. And no matter how dry and no matter how weary you are, yeah, he's able to fill your cup. And he's able to give you peace. For one Friday on the cross of Calvary, Jesus thirsted. He said, I thirst. And he wasn't thirsting for H2O. 
he was thirsting for fellowship with his father. For the father had turned his back on him. For Jesus was a sin bearer dying for our sin. And he said, I thirst. But Sunday morning came when he was resurrected from the grave. And that resurrection reinstituted and brought father and son back together again. Oh yeah, I'm telling you today that he is your oasis. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? He'll give you riches when you don't have a dime in your pocket. He'll give you peace when the world is falling apart. He'll give you solidarity when you are economically deprived. He'll give you joy in the midst of your sorrow. Oh, as the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee, O God, my soul, my soul, my soul, thirst for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Father, thank you today for being our oasis. Yes, we live in a world that's like a desert. We experience the blistering heat of tribulation and trial, of sickness and death. But because you are that sovereign subterranean stream that enables us to remain Fertile and green in the midst of arid and desert climates. We praise you. We thank you for who you are in spite of our conditions. For anyone that's here, Lord, I pray that you would touch the heart of that individual who lives in the desert of unforgiven sin, who is lost and is going into a Christless eternity. May they know even now that your son loved them enough that he was willing to die for their sins. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount I poured there where the blood of the lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. In Jesus' name. 